What's shaking, everybody? Uh, this week's episode of the Golf Guide podcast is proudly presented to you by Pacific Coast Golf Guide magazine. Uh, we have been working tirelessly uh, over the past uh, month plus um, kind of putting together this year's edition of the magazine, which is set to be released next month, March 2020. So I just wanted to make sure all of you guys are on the lookout uh, for the newest magazine that's going to provide you with information on every single golf course on the Pacific Coast. We've got some really cool editorials um, that I think you guys are really going to enjoy reading, kind of about different golf developments happening on the West Coast, some great destinations to visit if you like golf course architecture, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So uh, very excited to share that with you guys when it comes out. So make sure to be on the lookout for a Pacific Coast Golf Guide magazine available at a golf course near you. And you can also subscribe and get a free copy sent to your house by visiting golfguide.net slash magazine dash subscription. Uh, and without any further delay, let's get to another episode of the Golf Guide Podcast. All right, well, uh, it is pretty nice to be back with each and every one of you. Um, so, some stuff has happened uh, since we were uh, last together here. The West Coast Swing uh, is over and done with. And I got to say, by and large, pretty satisfying string of events. Uh, I think the tournament at Riviera put a pretty nice bow uh, on everything. Uh, the golf world seems to, as always, be a huge fan of everything that Riviera uh, brings to the world of professional golf in terms of great architecture, firm playing conditions, um, short par fours that seem to confuse some of the best players in the world where a lot of them end up making double bogeys, if not worse. I mean, shit, a guy leading the tournament on Sunday uh, topped his tee shot. It was such a daunting you know, pursuit to, uh, to try to make three on there. So, um, yeah, r- really cool. The West Coast Swing is now over and done with for 2020. Um, the professional golf world will now make its way to Florida. Um, however, there is a WGC event happening this weekend, but unlike most WGC events, uh, this will this will not be featuring many of the world's best players, which actually kind of leads me to the first thing I want to talk about today, and that is um, the continuing developments regarding the Premier Golf League, the new um, proposed golf league that is... While they're not saying they are taking on the PGA Tour and European Tour, it certainly seems like um, all of these tours cannot coexist in their present form and all together. Um, if the Premier Golf League is going to happen, it certainly is going to take some changes on the part of the PGA Tour and the European Tour in terms of how they format their schedule, how many events they're going to have on their schedule. Um, it may even, you know, It may even change the format of play, but uh, yeah, there's just been continuing to be a lot of updates on this. Um, A lot of the information that I'm going to be sourcing for you guys is from Jeff Shackelford, who has been on the ball. He has been probably the lead uh, resource um, for information regarding the Premier Golf League. And um, since we've you know already been talking a little bit about Riviera, we've been talking a little bit about uh, some of the top players in the world. not going to Mexico, uh, to Chapultepec, Mexico, uh, for the WGC Mexico event. Um, 
Yeah, let, let's just start here. So this past week, uh, while everybody was in Los Angeles for the Genesis Invitational at Riviera, um, I believe there was a meeting of some point, and that meeting uh, consisted of a, a bevy of agents um, representing some of the top players in the world and also uh, several of the top players in the world. Now, um, the names of these players, I believe I found on here somewhere, but uh, now that I've, you know, now that I'm recording a podcast, it of course is uh, beginning to elude me and I don't have everything written down in detail in my notes, so way to start off the podcast with a bang. Okay, uh, let's see here. I can report, oh, here we are, right there at the top of my notes, Kyle Udill. Okay, um, seven attendees uh, in terms of players that were in attendance for a meeting um, where the PGL was kind of, you know, pitching its new tour. Um, the players in attendance were Phil Mickelson, Brooks Kepka, Justin Rose, Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau, and Patrick Reed. And to quote from the article, they heard a presentation from Premier League backers inside the 13th hole adjacent home of asset manager Ahmed Tayeb and his wife, art collector Shireen Magrabi Tayeb. Uh, on-site rumors were flying that Mickelson was ready to reach a decision on the proposed league last week since he'd almost assuredly be a founding team captain and a major draw even as he nears age 50. Mickelson's verdict could make or break the proposed tour. So, and again, if you guys are not up to date on all this, the Premier Golf League is, you know, a new <laughs> uh, proposed league that uh, some anonymous uh, backers are trying to put together to challenge the status quo of the PGA Tour, contending that the current format of just what feels like a billion 72-hole stroke play events over and over and over and over again, and most of them taking place at golf courses that just don't really inspire a lot of <laughs> imagination uh, from fans and players alike. And so, you know, this tour is, you know, is seeing an inefficiency in the professional golf marketplace. They contend that a lot of the best players in the world aren't going head-to-head -head often enough. Um it's also contending the venues can be better. It can be more international. Um, there's, you know, with, given the success of the President's Cup and the Ryder Cup, um, that the team, you know, aspect of golf is really basically ignored in the professional ranks. And so this new proposed tour is going to try and capitalize on all of that. And part of it is that they want to recruit the best players in the world to become not just team captains of, like, say, a dozen different um you know, franchises that would then be a team, but they want to give the best players in the world an ownership stake and management stake in each of these teams as a way to kind of kick things off. And uh, I heard this uh, from the guys on the No Laying Up podcast um, earlier this week that, you know, this new PGL tour is rumored to have offered Tiger Woods somewhere in the ballpark of 200 to $250 million to join the Premier Golf League, and to become one of the captains slash owners of one of the team franchises. It, just to let you know, Tiger Woods is the most successful golfer financially in the history of golf, and $250 million for him to join the Premier Golf League would represent double his career earnings. Double. <laughs> that is a nice chunk of change, and yet somehow there are a lot of people reporting that it still might not be enough, not just, you know, the Tiger is looking for more money, but just, you know, weighing all the benefits and risks of joining a, you know, Premier Golf League 
and the effect it would have on the PGA Tour. Jay Monahan, PGA Tour commissioner, has been very stern, letting players know that um, you know that <laughs> things are not going to go exceptionally well for them if they opt to leave the PGA Tour. Um, again, to reference that same No Laying Up podcast, uh, you know, I, I heard rumors that you know they were trying to see if they could revoke uh, players' pensions that they had earned. Or, you know, at least the, that idea had been floated out there. Um, you know, Chris Solomon from No Laying Up did, you know, remind us that pensions that you've earned uh, are, are tough to take away. And uh, I'd, I'd probably tend to agree with him on that point. Um, when the eventual winner of the Genesis, uh, Adam Scott, was asked about the PGL, he uh, his comments were as follows. Uh, the concept is very good. Uh, professional golf on the PGA Tour is in a very good place, but... There's a lot of opportunities for professionals to play. However, I feel like having some sort of premier tour would be better for the game of golf almost as a whole and a way to follow the top players, and it could have a positive impact on the game. Um, Scott said he had not engaged in direct conversations with the league but did want to learn more. Um, it's really interesting. Uh, let's see. Justin Rose was another gentleman that was asked about this. Um, his comments, I think it needs to come to a head shortly. Uh, otherwise, it becomes too much noise for noise sake. Uh, there's obviously a lot of incentives for guys to want to be interested in it, and it's a redistribution of all the economics that are involved in golf. Now, this is where uh, Jeff Shackelford is the one I'm uh, kind of reporting here. You know, comments, Rose was referring to an increasingly problematic notion facing the PGA Tour, namely that top players see tournaments continually added where purses are funded by the same media rights pool that also funds lesser events. Meanwhile, the people who do sell tickets, the stars, aren't paid for the attention and tournament income that they deliver. Rose continues, quote, Format-wise, it's about seeing the top players playing against each other more regularly. I think we'd all like to see that, but it's often not as simple as that. There's hundreds of questions that need to be answered, which don't seem to be getting answered very quickly and quote um man this is really really interesting um it's rumored that phil mickelson of all these star players is probably going to be the first one to make a decision on whether or not he would join the premier golf league as a player and as a team captain um and team steward so we were uh we are going to have to wait and see on that but uh, I, I would imagine that once phil makes his announcement which uh, he said he'll probably have He'll probably have decided what he's going to do by the time the Players' Championship rolls around next month. I think he said he's going to obviously play Bay Hill first, then he'll go to the Players, and we'll probably have a good idea of what he's going to do at that point. And then, again, as Jeff Shackelford mentioned in his column, I I would say based on Phil's decision, since he seems most likely to be the one um, that is going to decide first, I think that is when all the dominoes will fall afterwards. Um, so it's going to be very interesting. I, I cannot wait um, to follow the story a little bit more. As someone like myself who likes professional golf, it's so fun, man. I, I love golf so much. I love playing golf. I like watching professional golf. But there are a few tournaments and events in the professional golf calendar that I consider to be my favorite sporting event. I mean, really, you know, I I love all the majors. And the Masters, you know, as nobody here is surprised to learn, is my favorite event on the sporting calendar. Like, Masters 1, probably the World Series 2, you know, and, and then, you know, after that, it might be, shit, man, it might be the British Open. I mean, like, I mean, the golf, 
you know, golf at its best is one of the best sports products for viewers. Um, but I'm prob- you know, unfortunately, the you know world of professional golf has been overly saturated with, in my opinion, somewhat meaningless events um, at shitty low, you know, shitty golf courses that I don't really want to spend you know several hours watching other people play. My love of golf first and foremost stems from wanting to play golf. I love to play golf, and I really like to watch golf. I love to watch certain tournaments, and I'm hoping that this Premier Golf League provides people like me who aren't going to be watching, you know, professional golf week in and week out regardless, um, with more riveting tournaments similar to you know, the way that I feel about the Masters or the Open Championship that, um, yeah, that, that, that really generate some genuine excitement um, and, and makes me want to tune in as opposed to, you know, you know, going out and watching something else or, you know, working in my yard or anything like that. So I'm hoping that at the very least uh, the PGL is going to be able to pull this off. And if it doesn't, it at least scares the PGA Tour enough to try to have them change some stuff up and reformat a few things so their product becomes a little bit more digestible. Um, yeah, and that is about all I have to say on that. Um, you know, another little note here that I want to touch on in the podcast is that uh, I guess, you know, the, the, the No Laying Up podcast is getting a lot of uh, love here. But uh, I did get to listen to a little bit of the beginning of their interview that they just released with Peter Costas, who was, you know, uh, released by CBS Sports along with Gary McCord as um, it appeared, you know, from his interview that CBS was trying to get younger. Um, they thought the broadcast was becoming a little bit stale uh, with people like McCord and Peter Costas. They were a little too old and that they wanted to try to get younger so they could have uh, field reporters that could be, you know, relate a little bit more to all of the young guys on tour. You know, my first thought in hearing that is, oh, so the PGA Tour, who, by the way, is also going to be controlling more of the <laughs> the content that uh, viewers see when watching a PGA Tour event. Uh, they want guys that are not going to be critical. They want guys that are going to promote the PGA Tour. And uh, basically, they want a bunch of young yes-men they can pay less money to and control more. And unfortunately, for people like myself, um, that really diminishes the product. Uh, it makes me want to watch less. I always really enjoyed Peter Costas, uh, his commentary. I really, really liked Gary McCord. Um, and, you know, it's it's pretty, yeah. It's pretty shitty. Um, now, here's one thing I will say. Uh, there was a lot of buzz this past Sunday of people just crushing CBS, um, you know, for their broadcast at C- you know at, at Riviera. Too many commercials, not enough actual golf being shown. Um, I don't have any firsthand experience because I don't have CBS at my house, and to be honest with you, I don't really care. Um, I can, if I want to follow on Sunday when the broadcast turns over to CBS. You could just follow it online. I could follow it on Twitter. It seems like it works out pretty good. Um, you know, I have NBC. I have the Golf Channel in my house, so I, I watched the tournament all up until the, the, the broadcast shifted over to CBS. And you know what I did? I went out and I played golf. <laughs> when it switched to CBS, I just went out and I played golf, and I followed the tournament while I was out on the golf course. And that actually seemed like it was the best possible scenario uh, for someone like myself. And uh, I, I just, and I don't know, it, it makes me feel like I'm pretty unqualified to to give any more thoughts on the CBS broadcast because I haven't watched any of them in 2020, but rumor on the streets is that it sucks. And uh, I hope that any of you guys digesting a sizable amount of uh, CBS's broadcast over the weekends uh, 
are not as off-put as uh, some of the other voices that I've been hearing. So uh, there's that. Um, before I talk a little bit about my experience in Orlando last month, uh, I did want to touch on this r- great article that uh, I found. I sent it to my wife. Um, and, you, you know, it's uh, it, my wife, not, not a big golfer, but, uh, you know, sometimes wonders if it's healthy for someone like myself to play 100-plus rounds of golf a year. And, you know, like any other, uh, you know, citizen of the United States in 2020, you know, I'm always a little, you know, curious and I wouldn't say suspicious, but always a little cautious uh, reading news and reports from different outlets. Um, Unless, of course, you know, it reaffirms a position that I already hold, uh, in which case it's obviously 100% correct. And, uh, yeah, that applies to all of you guys out there as well. But uh, this is an article from WebMD. Uh, the title being "Golf May Be a Recipe for Longevity." <laughs> yeah, buddy. All right. Uh, you know, for the sake of butchering uh, this the way that I, I started to at the beginning of our first segment, this is a very, very short little article that I'm just going to read to all of you guys, and I want you to use this uh, anytime a spouse or a significant other or a family member uh, is wondering why you have to play so much golf. I would like all of you to reference something like this. All right. This is uh, written February 12th, 2020. If you're a senior, playing golf regularly may do more than improve your swing. New new research suggests it could reduce your risk of early death. Researchers followed nearly 5,900 adults, 65 and older, for 10 years and found that those who were regular golf players, meaning they play golf at least once a month, were more than 8% less likely to die from any cause than non-golfers, CNN reported. This study will be presented later this month at the American Stroke Association's International Stroke Conference in Los Angeles. Golf is an option for older adults who want to be physically active, according to researchers from the Zenat Quarshi Stroke Institute. I hope I said that correctly. Quote, the intensity level of this activity is such that it can be maintained for a longer period of time. And it's something that maintains the interest of individuals so people can continue it on a regular basis. And quote, study author Dr. Adnan Quershi, a neurology professor at the University of Missouri, told CNN. But an expert who wasn't involved in the study said he doesn't think we can conclude this from the study that golf reduced the risk of early death because it didn't consider other factors about non-golfers, such as smoking or other unhealthy lifestyle habits, and it didn't say whether regular golfers walked or used carts while out on the links. Quote, other studies have consistently shown that physical activity of any intensity is associated with a reduced, reduced risk of death. Ulf Eklund, a sports medicine professor at the Norwegian School of Sports Sciences, told ESPN, or, or told CNN, <laughs> Freudian slip, if older individuals like to play golf, they should continue, but I am sure regular walking is equally good for health and longevity, Eklund added. Again, this this guy is from the Norwegian School of Sports Sciences. They can only go outside like two months a year, so I'm not, I'm not really sure he's you know he's the best resource. However, if you focus on that headline, that that is a great a great out, um, you know, for, for for being able to justify playing lots and lots of golf. I'm just improving my longevity. Um, yeah, pretty. Pretty interesting stuff. I mean, they do make a good point that if you're going to be out just walking six miles, you know, every day, that probably is helpful as well. But I think, and this is just, you know, my opinion, I am not a medical professional, but I I think the combination of the physical activity plus 
you know, kind of the way that golf keeps you engaged mentally uh, as you're kind of thinking your way through a golf course, you're trying to implement strategy, technique, you're trying to put a plan into place and then execute that plan. I think that in addition to the physical exercise, actually, it, it makes perfect sense why something like golf would be so healthy or such a healthy activity for people of all ages, but especially for those um, that are in the, you know, the second half of their life. Um, is it's just, just great, man. It gets, gets all the neurons firing up uh, at full speed. You know, keep yourself a little loose. You're enjoying the outdoors. I mean, come on. Do, do I really need to do I, do I really need to tell anybody listening to this podcast that golf is good? <laughs> uh, no, probably not. Uh, okay, so with all that, everybody, um, because I'm riding solo this week, I don't have my, my partner in crime, Jess Mac, with me. This one uh, is going to be somewhat brief. However, I've not yet had an opportunity to talk about my experience when I went to Orlando last week or last month, excuse me, um, for the PGA merchandise show. It was my first time attending the event. I had never been before. Uh, I had heard, uh, you know, a lot of stories about the event in the past. And uh, I got to say, overall, I think it was a pretty positive um, experience. Uh, the one thing I will say is people are always, you know, were telling me, man, just make sure you got a couple days. You know, it's uh, that, that place is huge. I'm like, well, it's a convention center. You know, obviously, I, I expect it to be really, really big. But come on, couldn't you, you know, you could see it all in a day. Not really. I mean, it, it is kind of baffling how massive um this place was i mean this convention center floor i mean it's probably a thousand different booths um all ranging in size where some of the major club manufacturers like titleist you know they had you know probably a few thousand square feet you know just all to themselves where there were other smaller booths that maybe were taken up you know 50 square feet there were you know travel operators from all over the world offering golf tours club manufacturers clothing and apparel and accessories uh, people flaunting new products. Um, I mean, one that I saw that was really cool that has no application to me uh, because I don't manage a golf course. Uh, but like they had like new rakes, for instance, that you know uh, perfectly rake a sand trap without having to go back and forth over and over again. Um, there's lots of swing, you know, swing aids. I I even talked to these guys that uh, came all the way from Korea, um, who are basically creating insoles for your golf shoes that are electronic and they sense the weight distribution in all your feet and load it to an app so you can actually see how your weight is distributed during your golf swing and to try to kind of help you isolate where problems are. I mean, just really fascinating. All of the different ideas that people are, are bringing to the world of golf. Um, and really, how much time and how much resources are going into improving people's golf games is pretty, pretty incredible, um, especially when, you know, for me, I mean, given all the cool stuff that I saw, it still kind of baffles my mind that everybody's trying to find different fixes to the golf swing, but really I'm still pretty confident that just going to get a lesson is probably <laughs> going to be a hell of a lot more helpful than, uh, than any of that stuff. But, uh, I digress. It, it still was very, very interesting to see all the different stuff at the show. Um, you know, itself was, you know, the show itself, um, that at least the one that took place in the convention center, like I said, massive, lots of different stuff. Um, holy shit. CBD. Like, they're just, I don't know if there could have been any more companies hawking CBD um, <laughs> uh, than there were. Um, yeah, it was it was nuts, man. Uh, between the demo day, which uh, took place on Tuesday of that week, where, you know, they, they bust us out to this huge facility where it was like a huge circular driving range that was like 350, 400 yards, you know, across. So people were kind of like hitting 
you know, into the middle of the range, but nobody could really reach the other side. Um, you know, they had pr- probably 15 different stands of people trying to sell me, you know, not sell me, but kind of show off their, their CBD brands and how impactful they are. Um, you know, little, you know, the scrammer, we are running an article uh, in this year's Pacific Coast Golf Guide magazine on the benefits of CBD uh, for golfers specifically. Um, and so kind of sharing that with a lot of people, and admittedly, you know, I, I was at the PGA show to network, you know, to meet some new people with the hope of eventually maybe converting uh, some of those, you know, contacts into possibly future clients and advertisers. I mean, everybody who's there is basically doing that exact same thing. But I did find it amazing that all the people that I talked to that were selling CBD or, you know, we were there to promote their CBD. You know, I let them know that I publish a magazine. They're like, oh, my gosh, would you love to write a story about us? It's like, well, I'm writing, you know, we are writing a story about the benefits of CBD for golfers. They're like, well, no, 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 like, what, what about, like, you, you could write an article about our, our story is really fascinating. We have, like, this CBD product, and I think you'd love to write about it. And I was like, well, we're not really trying to write about a specific brand. However, there is this thing called advertising where you can supplement and inform readers about your specific brand by advertising within a magazine that is actually going to have a feature on the benefits of it. So it seems kind of perfect. And lo and behold, 100% of them, oh, oh, yeah, no, no, we don't advertise. We just want people to write about us. And I was like, hmm, interesting. It kind of gave, it, it recalibrated, you know, <laughs> you know, I, for whatever stupid-ass reason, I, I'm still under the impression that, you know, marketing and advertising is something that companies should be putting resources towards. Um, in order to, you know, grow it, you know, grow their brand, but also to inform, uh, you know, potential customers, uh, you know, about their services. And, uh, that doesn't really seem to be the case with a lot of, uh, a lot of people within the golf space. A, a lot of, a lot of companies that I met both CBD and otherwise really, really wanted us to write extensive articles about their specific product. Uh, but a- absolutely could not advertise. It's just not, 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 you know, not, not something that they, they were able to do at this time, you know? And all of our resources have been allocated to, to other things. And so it, I found that to be interesting. I mean, you know, from a business standpoint, obviously a little uh, a little frustrating. Um, but, you know, as I walked away from PGO, I was like, yeah, I guess that's that's probably not even specific to golf at this point. It's uh, I think the Internet has kind of conditioned most of us, myself included, that, uh, you know, a lot of stuff can be had without cost. But, hey, as we all know, there's no free lunch. So uh, uh, most of those CBD companies that I met seem to have nice products. Um, although I will say they were not having tested many of them out. They did not really seem to me to be as effective as other CBD products that I've used. And I think a big part of that is that here in California, obviously, you know, uh, cannabis marijuana is legal. And so a lot of the CBD creams that you get here just in California do still have elements of THC in them. Granted, they're not non-psychoactive because it's such a small, um, portion of it. To my understanding, Having the you know, the combination of the THC with the CBD together makes it a lot more effective, and because cannabis is not you know legal on a national scale, all of these CBD companies um, that I saw at demo day were pretty much hawking the same thing, um, and so you know it was okay. Uh, I will say this though: we are still running that feature in this year's Pacific Coast Golf Guide magazine, so I'm very excited for you guys if you want to learn more uh, about how a good CBD product can benefit golfers, uh, I, I would highly recommend picking up the magazine and giving it a read. It uh, should be pretty cool. Um, let's see, other notes. Uh, at Demo Day, well, l- l- let me start at Demo Day here. Um, 
most of all the club companies were there. What the one thing I found odd was TaylorMade was absent. TaylorMade was not at the PGA show, not a demo day, not on um, the convention center floor. It was a little strange that every single OEM seemed to be there except for the second biggest one in the country slash world. Um, that that I found to be a little interesting. Um, some of the products, you know, some of the clubs specifically that I demoed that I came away most impressed with, um, and that sounds weird, Tour Edge. Um, you know, usually kind of a laughing stock, you know, among serious players because, you know, it's like, why would I play Tour Edge when I go play Titleist or, uh, you know, TaylorMade, Callaway, whatnot? I mean, just, um, you know, they. <laughs> I think the only professional players that use Tour Edge products probably are on the senior tour, but I got to tell you, man, of all the drivers that I hit, and I hit... You know, every OEM's, you know, newest driver, the Callaway Maverick. I mean, granted, I did not hit the TaylorMade Sim driver because they were not there. Uh, but I was hitting drivers from Hanma, uh, Callaway, you know, obviously Tour Edge, Cleveland. And I got to tell you, man, the driver, Fairy Woods and Hybrids for the new Tour Edge Exotics EXS220 series. Uh, they co- say this has some diamond face technology in it. I you know, I, I, I nod and kind of pretended to understand exactly what that entailed when they were, you know, explaining it to me. But all I know is that when I was hitting them, they felt really, really, really good um, to the point where I think if I have to purchase a three wood at some point this year, which since I don't have a three wood in my bag, uh, I've kind of been in the market for one. As of right now, um, that's probably where I would be leaning towards. I mean, it was just that good. So I was really impressed with the the Tour Edge Woods. I was also really impressed with Wilson. Um, now, again, Wilson is a brand that I think uh, most people are kind of like, oh, well, you know, Wilson, like, come on, like, am I looking for a starter set? Uh, I was actually impressed. Most of their clubs, really impressive. I mean, Gary Woodland used a, uh, a set of Wilson Blade Irons to win the U.S. Open last year, so they can't be all that bad. Um, and they had me demo their new D7 irons. Um, and I got to tell you, man, they were long, long, pure, and straight. I. I came away very impressed with Wilson, really as a whole. I, I demoed some of their uh, their Duo Soft Plus balls, which uh, were pretty felt pretty good for like a twenty dollar a dozen ball. Their irons all felt really good. I didn't get a chance to demo any of their woods, but uh, I, I would say those two club companies are the ones I came away most surprised by in terms of. I left being much more impressed with their golf clubs than I was before I you know got through the doors at Demo Day. Really really cool stuff. Um, you know, all, all the other club companies were, were fine. Uh, you know, it, it was about what I expected. You know, their clubs felt similar to what they did last year. Like the new Maverick driver feel, you know, felt fine. I mean, I, I still play with a Callaway Rogue, uh, driver in my bag. And I actually aesthetically like, you know, the Rogue more, but I also like the Rogue more than the Epic Flash last year. The, the my, my Rogue has a little bit more, you know, a little bit of a different top line. It has it, the size is a little bit different. The shape is a little bit different. It's just more pleasing to me. Um, and so, you know, the, the new Callaway drivers seem fine. You know, what, what I did find interesting is that, you know, there's so many people like myself and I, I had a badge on while I was there, you know, stating that I was, you know, part of, uh, media and I would walk up to like a group of people, you know, uh, employees of a certain club company, you know, ready to ask them questions. And, uh, I, it seemed like almost half of the club companies, their reps just really did not want to be there. And were just trying to avoid talking to people at all costs. And I was thinking to myself, like, man, what a waste of money to fly these guys out here. Because then you have some companies, especially the smaller ones, that are so anxious and so excited to be able to talk to you about their product. And that was really refreshing. It was awesome to be around people 
that had so much energy and passion for what they were doing that even if they had a product that seemed like it was kind of a little silly, just their sheer excitement and just level of stokeness for what they were doing got me excited about what they were doing. And so, it you know, when you did get to a club company like a, uh, I don't really want to name names, <coughs> Cleveland's works on, where you had a lot of people, you know, just standing around, really seemingly trying to avoid talking to people that wanted to come ask them questions about their products. Um, it was a little bit of a bummer, but uh, that does not take away from all the different companies that I talked to that actually had some really cool stuff and were, and were really excited to share that with everybody. So I found that to be really, really interesting. Overall, I actually thought it was a great event. I think, uh, would I go back? Yes. I would definitely go back just because you're just exposed to so much stuff. Um, it, it, it can be a little overwhelming, but I think for someone in my, you know, in my situation who's just going there to check out new stuff and to network a little bit, it's really, really awesome. Tons of people in the golf industry are there. Um, I, I did recognize a few celebrities uh, from, you know, things like Instagram and like uh, Lauren O'Loughlin from Golf Channel, uh, Eric Anders Lang and stuff like that. But admittedly, they were talking to people and, you know, I'm not one of the, I, I, I guess you could say I'm a little shy because I don't really love going up and introducing myself and talking to people that I've never met before. And I don't really have a good reason to talk to them other than to say, hello, I just wanted to introduce you myself. Uh, so, but you know, a lot of those people were there. Um, they pretty much look the same in person as they do online. Sometimes not as good, or I'd say most times not as good, but, uh, either way, they're very cool to kind of see all those folks. And the last thing I wanted to touch on was I was only able to get one round of golf in when I was visiting Orlando and it was at none other than the winter park golf course, uh, which has been a darling of social media and has been kind of identified as the future of golf in that it's a uh, a short golf course uh i think it's got what two no one par five yes par five a couple of short par fours and a lot of par threes and i gotta tell you guys it was awesome i mean i, I completely agree that if there were more golf courses like winter park um everywhere throughout the united states i have no doubt that golf would be in a much much better place um, you know, the one thing I did have a couple questions and I'd love to be able to talk to somebody at Winter Park who would be giving me candid answers, but there were a few things that I noticed that did seem a little, you know, a little different from the way this golf course has been painted in different articles online. You know, first is the golf course first is like wall to wall fairway, which is great, but there's a lot of bunkers out there and they all look really great. Like I said, Keith Reb and Riley Johns, the guys who built it. Uh, Keith Reb, I know at least, has worked with Bill Corr and Ben Crenshaw, and the bunkers, the shape of them and the styling of them was very reminiscent of what you'd find at a Core Crenshaw course, which, you know, for me, aesthetically speaking, is is fantastic. Uh, you know, natural-looking bunkers are, are great. Um, but the one thing I, I found interesting was there's a lot. Like, there's a lot of bunkers, which, again, to me is great because you, the more bunkers you can put in play, the more strategy uh, is usually, you know, required in order to navigate throughout the golf course. However... To the best of my understanding, bunkers also cost a great deal to maintain, and I wonder with how many bunkers they have out there on that golf course, um, you know, is that a realistic model for other municipalities to implement? Because it seems to me, you know, so many golf courses, like as an example, Northwood in Monterio here, you know, my favorite nine-hole golf course on the planet, you know, rated one of the best nine-hole golf courses in the world. Alistair McKenzie's only nine-hole golf course. Over the years, they've had to get rid of a dozen 
a dozen plus bunkers throughout the golf course just because the maintenance is difficult, it's time consuming, um, and, and it's costly. And you know, for somewhere like Winter Park to have as many bunkers as they do, I'd I'd be very curious to find out how the economics of that work, and you know, basically if it's worth it to have that many uh, on a place that's you know trying to provide affordable golf to people. Um, so th- again, that is not a knock at all. Admittedly, if it if every single golf course could have as many bunkers in you know as many strategic locations as Winter Park does, I think golf would be in a much better place. Uh, I, I just don't know. I would just be curious to find out how they make it work. And the second thing is, again, I'm trying not to be negative. I'm I'm trying to, you know, but I I do find it interesting that Winter Park has been labeled and kind of put up on a pedestal as this beacon of municipal golf and affordable golf for the masses. And, you know, every little community could use a place like this, which is true. But I, I find it interesting that, you know, and I did not know this until going to Orlando, but Winter Park Golf Course is in the community of Winter Park, you know, which is, you know, a, a community within Orlando. And it is far and away the wealthiest uh, community in Orlando. Lots of, you know, the golf course itself plays through a bunch of beautiful old houses. Um, it, it's kind of like where all of the old money in Orlando resides. And I thought it was cool, but I also thought it, to me, it felt a little misleading that this golf course that had been pegged as affordable and for the masses uh, somehow was in the neighborhood of the wealthiest people that probably didn't need that golf course. Now, I understand also that those are the people that you know probably have the time and the resources to be able to lobby to have something like this built. So obviously that goes without saying. But you know, I, it, it, to me, it would have felt a lot cooler if this you know affordable golf course for the masses had actually been located in an area that would be more accessible to the masses. Um, you know, it'd be like, you know, if you live in the Bay Area, you know, or, you know, the San Francisco, you know, Peninsula specifically, like, hey, we built this brand, you know, this great new short course that we think is going to be revolutionary for golf. It's for the masses. It's going to be awesome. Uh, where? Oh, it's located in Pacific Heights in San Francisco. Or, you know, if you're in Los Angeles. Oh, yeah, it's great. Yeah, so it's in Bel Air. Uh, and it's, it's awesome. It's for the masses. It, it's, it, it just, something about it just kind of felt off to me that something that has been labeled as such a, a great community investment is mostly investing in a community that doesn't really need it. Um, so anyway, that, that, that's a little side tangent. I'm sorry. Again, I'm not really trying to, you know, skew negative, but it was just kind of a, an odd, an odd feeling and an odd observation I had while I was there. But otherwise, Again, the golf course itself was awesome. I, I, I don't want anybody to, you know, think that my experience there was anything other than spectacular. I enjoyed the hell out of my time at Winter Park. Like I said, if that golf course was something that uh, became very, very commonplace across the U.S., uh, I do think golf would be in a much, much better place. So fun experience at Winter Park, and uh, that's all I have to say about that. Uh, and with that, people... Uh, that is it for this week's episode of the Golf Guide Podcast. I thank you very much uh, for listening. Um, I'll be back next week. I uh, I think I'm going to be releasing a trailer, actually, in the next couple of days. I've I've been pondering this idea of starting a new podcast feed for quite some time where, you know, th- this, this podcast has kind of evolved into sort of like a weekly or every other week sort of like news-based show where we talk about current events, what's going on in the golf world and things going on in West Coast golf, but I, I do love talking to people about 
you know, specific topics um, for an extended period of time. So I think what I've decided on is rather than basically starting a brand new podcast feed, I'm just going to work a new series into this podcast feed. Um, the name I will release in the trailer that's going to come out in the next couple of days, but really it's just going to be, you know, one-on-one or, you know, me having a conversation about a specific topic or a specific area, um, with a guest, um, you know, that's not like, you know, my normal guest like Jess. Um, yeah, where we get to talk about different topics within the golf industry. And, uh, I'm really excited for you, you know, to bring that. I mean, the podcast that I did with Garrett Morrison of the fried egg, uh, you know, a couple of months ago, I had actually originally planned on holding that and releasing it as part of the series, but it was just so good that I just, you know, I, I had to release it. I've actually had another podcast with a good friend that I've basically been sitting on for like three months uh, that I'm excited to, to finally push out as part of this series. So I hope you guys um, check that out. I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to be really cool. You know, I, I might even contend that it might be even, you know, just as if not more awesome than the podcast that I do here every week for you guys. So um, with that all being said, I look forward to sharing that with each and every one of you. Um, and thank you again for listening to this podcast. If you want to support what we do, I you know, implore you to leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. It's very helpful. Um, you can find this fo- podcast not only on iTunes, but also on Spotify or wherever else uh, you like to find your podcasts. And with that, adios, everybody. Have a great weekend.